You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review's Northern Command, which is my own home here in middle of the night, election night, November 7th, actually. I'm telling you guys, it's close to 3 a.m. Eastern Time. I can't think straight. I can't talk straight. But I feel like I need to give you the my, my initial take on it. I know a lot of you have been watching our live blog, and I wish I could have participated more than I intended to. Um, you saw a lot of my tweets, but now I'm actually running on no fumes, no brains, no sleep, and frankly, no internet connection either, which is bizarre. I have to find a way to upload this. Um, but I wanted to have something for you in the morning. How to make lemonade with the lemons that Republicans were given. We're, we're going to start off with horse race. And a lot of this episode is going to be horse race. And then we're going to move on to what we, what we think we can do as conservatives. And the truth be told, you know, a lot of times election victories are really curses in disguise. And a lot of times election losses are really blessings in disguise. And I think in this case, we really might see this dynamic. We really might see such a dynamic. Obviously, as of now... And, you know, look, it's very fluid. But what I'm seeing is a Democrat pickup on net of about 31, 32 seats. That number is not going to be clear even when you wake up in the morning and when this is posted. It might take several several days, if not over a week. Um, there's a lot of close races. But I put the number around 31, 32 pickups. That will give them roughly a 9, 10, 11 seat majority. That's in line with what all of us were predicting. It's in line with what was really headed in their direction all along. On the Senate side, it looks like Republicans, it looks like Matt Rosendale will win in Montana. Now, again, you know, if you're listening to this after the, there's clarity in that race, um, then, you know, you'll, you'll realize that that that's irrelevant, but it will mean that I'm assuming they win Arizona. They keep Arizona, so that's a hold. Dean Heller lost in Nevada, which is very telling. And Republicans picked up, I'm assuming, five seats. I know they picked up Florida with Rick Scott, Indiana with Michael Braun, um, Kramer in, in North Dakota, Hawley in Missouri, and... Rosendale, I'm assuming, in Montana. That would give them a net pickup of four because losing Nevada and put them at 55, a 55-45 solid majority in the Senate. 
in the governorships, they were overexposed. Republicans were overexposed, had a lot of vulnerabilities. It looks like they will lose seven, but then win two. They're going to win Connecticut. Um, and there's one more. My brain literally cannot think at this point, and I'm operating without an internet connection. But, you know, they lost Illinois. They lost Michigan. This was all expected. They lost Maine, Nevada, New Mexico, Kansas. And and again, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get clarity on this later, but it looks like a net pickup for Democrats of about maybe five governorships. Not as bad as the seven to nine we thought it was going to be a wipeout. State, legislat- state legislatures, I don't know as of now, but I will tell you, Republicans likely lost seats across the board in the majority of states, but I have not seen news of so many chambers flipping, which is very telling because you know, this is at the high end, the high watermark of Republican dominance, where you would think they would lose a lot. Now, I know they did lose their veto-proof majorities in both houses in North Carolina, so that matters. There's a Democrat governor, and officially with veto-proof majorities, you could pass laws despite his veto. That's gone. But the sum total is very interesting. The sum total is just for, – for first off, as a political science, it's a very fascinating election. It was a very tactical, technical election. It was – the culmination of an existing realignment. It wasn't a wave, but nonetheless, because of the technicalities and because of the anti-incumbency, it was enough to get them district by district, a tenuous 10 seat majority in the house. But ironically, Republicans picked up probably going to net four seats in the Senate. The last time to my knowledge, this has happened was the midterm elections under Teddy Roosevelt if I'm correct in my assumption here. And again, I can't check anything because I do not have an internet connection, which is insane. I, I just have my phone and that's it. Um, where Republicans you know, losing, or, or really any party, losing the House, but picking up seats in the Senate. Um, you know, just as, as, as a baseline here, let, let, let's just big picture. Big picture... Typically, the the president's party in a midterm loses, and especially when the president owns everything. They own the liability of all incumbency. They have the House and the Senate. If you look back, dating back to 1820, they they usually lose. And they usually lose roughly, give or take this number of seats, maybe maybe a couple less. And, And they usually lose in the Senate as well. And this is especially true nowadays with the hyperpolarization the hyper anti of social media that it feeds. Notice that you know every midterm election was a wave election since the advent of social media and the internet. Really, you know, two thousand six, two thousand ten, two thousand fourteen. So it, it's not you know no one could look at this and say this is a historic repudiation of Trump. What it was is very clear: the red areas got redder, the blue areas got bluer. But Republicans are dangerously bleeding too many suburban voters. 
In other words, this is the same thing we were seeing. It's really the same electoral map we've been seeing for 18 months. Republicans lost these suburbs shortly after winning. You know, within a few months, the spring of 2017, when they were stupidly, you know, and you saw healthcare was the biggest issue, and we're going to talk a lot about that, where Republicans own the status quo of healthcare under their own. So they get all the liabilities as if they change something and people hate the status quo and they think Republicans did it. And really, it's it's the opposite. One of my most prescient articles, I think, over the, you know, the last two years is what I wrote May 3rd of 2017, that Republicans committed malpractice with Obamacare. So that's what happened. They lost the suburbs. Now, it looked like for most of the time, Republicans would get wiped out because Republicans were asleep. So here, Republicans surged back. The base always comes back home with the polarization. Certainly, the Kavanaugh effect helped it. So it just reverts back to what it was. Dems have bonkers turnout. Republicans have bonkers turnout in their places. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But Democrats won enough of the people in the, in the suburbs to win in those House districts, albeit in the Senate, where the landscape of the map, sans the Nevada race, was on red territory. Republicans won even in an anti-incumbent midterm backlash year. The bottom line is this. The country is more divided as ever. And the bottom line is that Republicans have all the liabilities of control, but none of the benefits. They, they get the liabilities of Trump, but not the benefits of Trump. And headed forward for Republicans and conservatives, and they're separate, that's, it's actually – I'm very, I'm very optimistic. If, if Republicans and Trump would play their cards right, I'm really – very optimistic here. You know, there's a lot to dissect here. But basically, you look at the map, and it's it's the same story. The red states is where we won. The blue states is where we lost. And that's why Nevada was the one seat Republicans lost in the Senate. Because even Trump, even in a better year, didn't win that. In the House districts, same thing, albeit there's a very interesting phenomenon that happened tonight. And I, I have a list of all the districts we lost. And, and by the way, almost all of them are a bunch of rhinos. So you know what? I'm kind of happy to get rid of the dead wood. Look, I, I didn't want that. I don't want Pelosi to win the House. I'm just saying now that it happened, happened to be they lost a lot of dead wood. So for, first, let's let's just go over this from a conservative perspective. From a conservative perspective, the heartbreakers, of course, were Dave Dave Bratt, lost by just a tiny bit. He was outspent two to one. Republicans dumped a bunch of money into Comstock in the North there in Virginia that she was always a goner, and they knew that. And they should have spent that money on Bratt, and he would have won. Bratt lost because of the financial edge. And in fact, I think people are underestimating the financial edge. This was a realignment election with 
the area is trending red, going red. The area is starting to trend blue, going blue. Albeit Republicans were on the shorter end of the stick on the House side because Trump was on the ballot for the, for the people who hate him. He was basically on the ballot. They are as jazz as you can get. But for Republicans, he wasn't on the ballot. You have to remember he wasn't on the ballot. That's number one. Number two, there was an asymmetry between the top of the ticket races in many states where Republicans just failed to recruit, had terrible recruits, and they were totally uncompetitive. That's not going to happen in a presidential year. And number three, the asymmetrical money gap, where they weren't just outspending incumbent Republicans, challengers outspending incumbents, unprecedented in the toss-ups, but even in the likely Republican, the solid Republican districts, Chip Roy was outspent three to one. That put them on such defense. Money matters. I've never seen such an asymmetrical race with money. Dave Bratt lost because of two things. Money and Corey Stewart. They had a comatose party at the top of the ticket. Had Nick Friedas won, he was the one we endorsed. He was the solid conservative without the baggage of Corey Stewart. He wouldn't have won the Senate race, but he would have remained competitive. Republicans lost so many seats where? New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Illinois. I've been harping on Illinois for a while. Where they weren't competitive Statewide, where Republicans just threw it away. Senate, governor, you know, some might throw Chris Kobach on us, losing Kansas, but Rauner in, um, in, in, in Illinois lost by, what, 20, 30 points? And that was always known. So we lost at least two House seats there because of that. What's the common denominator? These are all light red to very faint red districts in blue states where Republican, where Trump's not on the ballot, but he is on the ballot for the anti, and there was nothing to bring them out. There was nothing to bring out Republicans. And this is very important headed forward because Democrats will have a hard time holding those seats assuming the Trump map kind of stays the same because Trump did very well downstate in Illinois even though he lost the state. So that's the interesting thing. Democrats are now going to hold an 8 to 12 tenuous seat majority with Pelosi as their leader being the ultimate foil for Trump and placing their members from those districts in a very tough position, both with the decision to elect Pelosi and with all the policies. Because the irony is all the solid blue – they were progressive nutcases who won. But that's going to hurt them with these districts. They're going to have a hard time holding them. In other words, I believe that if one of three factors were absent, either Trump – let's say Trump would have been on the ballot tonight or you didn't have this historic financial gap between the parties in the House races or – Republicans were competitive in Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, and New York in some manner. I think it's very likely they could have held the House. They would have lost seats, but you know they 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 would have they could have won it. 
Um, there were a couple of surprises, like Oklahoma City District. Steve, but Steve Russell was horrible. Um, they lost the Charleston-based district in South Carolina. But again, I mean, the, the and that's a danger zone that we're so badly losing urban suburban that we can't even win like, you know, red state urban suburban like Charleston, um, Oklahoma City. That is a red flag. But again, that financial gap is very important because remember that coming up, Democrats are going to have a presidential election. See, right now, Trump is sucking out all the oxygen from fundraising on the Republican side, from focus on any other race we want to focus on. But Democrats didn't have anyone at the top, so they fully focused 100% of their money on these races. Now, not only are are they going to have a presidential candidate, they're going to have a presidential primary, a wide-open primary. They're going to have to blow a lot of cash on that. So I don't believe you're going to have the same cash advantage next election. So that's the thing. You know, had they – they didn't really win deep into red territory. There's always, yeah, one or two districts. But again, I mean if you were around in 2006, you remember they won deep into red territory. The red firewall held – and the blue firewall didn't get any bigger. Like, California doesn't look that bad. They might only lose two house seats there. That's pending. You know, that's going to take a while to sort out. So, not bad. Not bad at all. The problem is Republicans are bleeding suburban voters. They shouldn't be bleeding. And we've been talking about this for a while. And I think, you know, if you had a smart, cogent message that was conservative but without so many of the labels especially on healthcare i think we can win them back particularly with pelosi being being a a foil for this so there's that there's that but anyway conservative so again the heartbreak was dave bratt you know just breaks my heart um but again, you know, Dave believes in God. His life is his his wife, his kids, his religion. You know, this is not like a death like it is to other people. You know, he'll move on with his life. Um, it, it, it's, it's a crying shame. I think Mark Harris pulled it out, but that might go to recount in North Carolina. That's very important. Scott Perry pulled it out. Ted Budd pulled it out. Rod Blum, unfortunately, was another loss, but that wasn't such a heartbreaker just in the sense of that was a very tough district in a, in a midterm holding all the power. That's exactly the district that no matter what is kind of going to recede on you. So, you know, we always knew that was that was a goner. Steve King, by the way, won despite all the complaints about him, and he was outspent 10 to 1. Brian Kemp, importantly, won in Georgia against that radical, the governor's race. So you didn't see a wave there. The red wall held. Chip Roy won easily. And then he's going to be a big advocate for us. So lot, lot, lots of good news there. And, of course, the big prize of the night, Ron DeSantis. Wow, how about it? 
boy, are we proud of him. And he actually outpaced Rick Scott, who appears to have also won closer margin, astounding the margins he squeezed out of those rural counties. That's exactly the landscape we need. Um, let me be for the first to say this. Um, Ron DeSantis 2024, baby. You know, that is, I'm very proud of that. Very, very proud of that. And, you know, that is something really to look forward to. That was really a bright spot. And, and here's the thing. There's two states that are very telling. Florida and Ohio, those are the two states Republicans cannot win an election without them, presidential election. Republicans pulled off an upset and won the governor's race. What wasn't even that far off in the Senate race in the end, and it wasn't even competitive, didn't lose a single House race. I don't know the story with the state legislature there. Um, that was the Trump realignment. Trump did such damage to Democrats in Youngstown that – they're realigning. And again, you're seeing from there the crying shame of Pennsylvania, very similar demographics, but Republicans just threw away the governor and Senate races. I think with Trump on the ballot, they could still win in Pennsylvania and they could maybe win back a, a seat or two in the House. But again, I mean, a lot of that was judicial gerrymandering. I mean, they gained at least three seats because of judicial gerrymandering. So again, this is very technical. Judicial gerrymandering, lack of re good Republicans at the top of the ticket in in uh, bl trending blue states or or uh, you know swing states, the financial edge. These are all things that aren't going to be there. I, I frankly, if I were the Democrats, I would have rather have come three seats short, or certainly maybe winning a massive majority like Republicans won in twenty ten. But winning a tenuous majority, they're now going to own a lot of the liability. I mean, if they were smart, they would have a low-key speaker, but they're not, and they're going to have Pelosi. Now, I have to check how many of the ones who won pledged not to vote for Pelosi because they, they might have problems with that. But anyway, so that, that that's Ohio. Ohio is looking very good for the presidential election. Um, Florida, here's the thing. Clearly, this was a loss for Republicans. This was a Democrat victory, but like we said, within the realm of the historic norms, for a party out of power that's completely out of power in a midterm, especially given that Republicans had the better of them in the Senate. But nonetheless, in an election like that, you would expect Republicans to lose Florida. It's, it's perfectly even, and you would expect them to lose. That was a big surprise. They won. Why? Because that proves the thesis of the night. If you understand why they won in Florida, you understand why they won elsewhere and why they lost elsewhere. Because Florida was the state where Trump was on the ballot both for good and for bad. He was on the ballot for bad anyway. We've incurred all the liabilities of Trump. You may as well get the benefits. And Trump is very prominent there. He went there a lot. And Ron DeSantis fully ran on who he was. So Republicans were as energized in Florida like a presidential election. Democrats were as energized as could be too. That was the Stalingrad, and we won the Stalingrad. That, that, that's very important. Contrast that to Virginia, Pennsylvania, 
even Michigan to a lesser extent. And Ohio, I think they could have done better if they had more inspiring candidates, but certainly Illinois and all these states, there was nothing there for, for them to turn out for. So that's how these house races got washed up. So that's the lesson that Trump has bled some voters, but he's gained us voters. It was a net positive in 2016. It was a net liability this year in the House, just given the way midterms work when you're in power and given the money edge, given all the factors we talked about. You know me, I'm not an apologist for Republicans. I Actually, it's a lot easier given the narrative I usually say is say, these people suck. They didn't have a conservative agenda, and that's why they lost. And I'm going to get to that. There's what to say about that. But as a baseline, it's important to realize that there's no big embrace of the Democrats. This is the best environment they can get historically when the other party controls all three branches – all this talk of registering new voters, if there was ever a time they're going to do it, it was now. And they likely did it to a certain extent. They had the biggest financial edge you'll ever get. They had a lot of anomalies with Republicans blowing races, the Corey Stewart thing, the Rauner thing. And then there's also the issue of unity. Unity is important. You know, in the end, Josh Hawley and Michael Braun in Indiana and um, Missouri blew it out. Again, you see the red state realignment. The polls were almost on the money with the House. They were on the money with a lot of the swing states. But when it came to the red states, they were off. They undershot the intensity. That's the realignment. Missouri has realigned. Indiana has realigned. The rural areas... Even the you know, FDR coalition areas, they've realigned. Ironically, Braun won Indiana by a larger margin than Kramer won North Dakota. When you know Kramer was viewed to have bagged that race two months ago, whereas Braun was just kind of coming up the last couple of um, couple of weeks. So that's really important. And you're seeing that with Montana. Right, you're seeing that with Montana. Another deep red state, trending more red in the rural areas, where that was an upset. Appears to have been an upset as of this recording. And and look at West Virginia. So many polls had Mansion up double digits. It turned out Mansion won by three points. I mean, I'm not trying to criticize Trump here, but I was I was asking all the, all the while why didn't Trump park himself in West Virginia? He's so popular there. I think that would have made all the difference. He pulled the punches on Joe Manchin. Now we're stuck with him for another six years. Manchin only won West Virginia three, which was regarded as the most Democrat district of the three by one point seven points. Realignment. For good and for bad. So you're getting a sense of the pattern. Whereas, you remember, in 2010, 2010, Republicans won 23 seats, uh, sorry, 63 seats, six Senate seats, and six governorships. And they flipped 
a boatload of state legislative chambers. That was a historic repudiation of Obamacare and Obama's policies. This election, you can't really say it's a historic repudiation other than it's just the realignment continuing. Lost about 32 seats, half of what Dems lost in 2010. Republicans gained on that probably four Senate seats. And maybe, okay, maybe they lost five governors. I don't think they're going to lose six. That, that's what, how many Dems lost in 2010. And they're, they're, they're keeping their, you know, their dominance in the state legislative chambers, albeit, you know, I'm sure in many places, I don't have the numbers yet, in, you know, with, with smaller margins. But that's to be expected that it's going to recede from the high water mark. That is, that is not a historic repudiation. And the reason why it's important is this. You, you know from this program Republicans suck. Most of them suck. But the perception of the public is that Republicans stand for conservatism and Democrats stand for liberalism. So I think it's important just to celebrate in that sense that you know, this was not a major repudiation. And a lot of things they lost because of anomalies – Gosh, if Dave Bratt would have just pulled it out, I would have been totally happy tonight. It was a tiny margin, and again, it was all due to money, all because of the financial advantage. It was one of the most overlooked um, aspects of this election. Money matters. I mean, you know, O'Rourke came well within three, three and a half points of Ted Cruz. Without the money, I mean, the guy spent $100 million. That's how much Bush and Gore spent a piece on a presidential election in 2000, not that long ago. I'm getting old, but, you know, I remember that. Okay, you have inflation, but still. Money money, money talks. I mean, for, for all the Democrat harping on, oh, money and politics, Citizens United, they're the ones benefiting from it. You take that financial edge out, you'd be talking about a narrow Republican hold. Simply because they just put so many of them on defense. So that's the thing. This was a realignment. There's warning signs for both parties headed forward. Meaning, the point is, Trump can't bleed the suburbs quicker than he's gaining the FDR coalition and vice versa. Democrats can't bleed those districts faster than they're picking up, you know, some of these suburban districts. But again, a lot of that is going to Pelosi is going to do Trump wonders with that. They don't want Pelosi. I mean, I have in front of me, I'm trying to just go through off the top of my head the type of districts where these people won. And exactly what they've pledged. Because to my knowledge, a lot of these guys, I have to see which ones won here. A lot of them pledged not to support Pelosi. I know um, Spanberger, the one who defeated Bratt, distanced herself from Pelosi. I think she said she's not voting for Pelosi. The one who defeated Maya Love, 
who, by the way, is a jerk. I'm glad she lost. Um, let's see what we got here. Just looking at the list I have of people that said they're not going to vote for Pelosi. Oh, darn, I don't have my internet connection here. Just uh, turning it on here. Sorry about that. Pause. Um, tried to reset my router here. Um, yeah, I'm just, I mean, as you can tell, I'm, I'm half drunk. My brain is killing from processing so much information. But, you know, I, I figured I owed it to you just to get, get my baseline take on this. And, um, you know, obviously the Republicans overperformed in the Michigan Senate race with John James. And they were dramatically outspent in a lot of these races. So what does this mean going forward? What does this mean? Now, there's a lot more election analysis on the horse race, but I want to move on to us. You basically have a dynamic where, let's face it, you and I both know, whether you agree or not, Trump is cheering this. Meaning it's not like he's okay with the outcome. He wanted this outcome. Because the bottom line is, and, and here's the dirty little secret. Of course, the House is the better chamber because you control it easily with a simple majority. But the reality is this. The reality is Republicans weren't doing anything. We were going to scream about it. We would have had the opportunity to pressure them had they been in charge. But the reality is that Republicans were not going to do anything. The good stuff that's being done, as I said, is is administratively, which is why we need to pursue into my last podcast. We need to keep on top of Trump and, and the people in his administration. We got to call balls and strikes on opportunities. And it's really the courts. Now, you know my opinion, and I think I'm being proven right every day that we're not remaking the courts no matter what. But obviously, if Ruth Bader Ginsburg does kind of move on in, in life, this will matter because now they have a Collins and Murkowski rhino-proof Senate majority. So basically, it was all executive you know, actions and judicial nominees. So that it actually worked out better now because the House doesn't get involved in that. The House has no say in that. The only thing they did was the tax cuts. And by the way, they fell flat. That wasn't the issue in the election. Those who ran on tax cuts didn't really – I mean it's just not the issue. It's it's immigration and healthcare, and we have to have a narrative. And again, if I have one criticism of my dear friend Dave Pratt, just just you know, just to, trying to give analysis here, um, again, it was mainly you had Corey Stewart at the top of the ticket. You had nothing pulling them. Virginia's trending blue in general. You had the financial disadvantage. I, I do think the people running his race, and I don't know exactly who they were, they were obsessed with the tax cuts. They made it all about, I'm an economist. I'm, I'm an economist. I'm this nerdy economic professor. He thought that, I mean, I know Dave was kind of scared of looking too gruff, but frankly, he should have done the culture warrior stuff. He should have done the Dave Brad of 2012, um, 2014, running on, he should have really made immigration sanctuaries and the drug crisis the lead thing. That's the lesson. The lesson is it's almost like you know, you give someone a free punch or they get a free punch, 
and they punch you as hard as you can, as they can, in the face. And and it hurts. It hurts a lot, but you're you're still standing, and then that's it. That's that that is the best they can do. And now you're gonna have a shot at them. That's kind of what this election was. We've incurred all the Trump liability. You see that. But we're leaving so much of the benefit of Trump and what he thinks he stands for or tries to stand for and what other conservatives are trying to stand for. We're leaving it on the table. And that's the thing. Ron DeSantis did the full the full thing, embraced Trump. Now, you know Ron is not Trump. He's much smarter than him on policy. You know, he supported Ted Cruz in the primary. I know that. Um, you know, he's not with him on trade and ethanol and certain subsidies. He's much more of a traditional conservative, obviously. But again, it's perception. And it worked. And that's the lesson headed forward. Go all out. Imagine if Republicans would have the, the Republicans are perceived to have taken away the, the Obamacare entitlement. They didn't. They left the regs, the subsidies, and the Medicaid expansion. Imagine if they would have gotten rid of it. They've incurred the liabilities. They're not getting the benefits. Same thing on budget. Same thing on immigration. Same thing on crime. Crime came out in the exit polls. I have to take a look at that. But um, they're leaving stuff on the table. They're leaving stuff on the table. That's the lesson. You've incurred all the liabilities. They had all the money, all the enthusiasm, all the time, all the media you can imagine, all the hating on Trump, all, all the shootings and good news stories to play off of. They had everything. And it's bad. They you know they won the house. They they won, you know they downed a number of, of people. You know it was more than twenty three seats. It was somewhere in the low to mid thirties. But that's it. The red firewall held. The blue firewall didn't expand. And it was more or less the people in the middle. We knew we were losing. We're losing. We got to win back a little bit of that, and I think that's very easy to win back. So I'm very optimistic if Republicans did the following. Here's the lemonade to make out of it. Again, we've already established that all the benefits Republican got, got from control anyway, they're not losing it. Now, of course they're losing it because without the House you can't pass good stuff, but they're not passing good stuff. The only thing they did was the tax cuts with budget reconciliation. Now, officially, you could say, well, had they had the House, they could do another budget reconciliation in 2019. But are, were they really going to do welfare reform? No, they weren't going to do it. They're not going to do it. Not at all. Not at all. They weren't going to do it. And as such, I, ironically, we're not really losing that much, but here's what they're gaining. They're gaining politically because until now they had this awkward problem where Republicans were impotent as anything, but officially they control everything. So they had the you know, they had no one to blame. Now they're gonna have the perfect foil with Nancy Pelosi running the house. 
It's the ticket to Trump's reelection. But in my mind, the ticket to Trump's reelection to winning back suburban voters while holding the historic gains we've made in the rural areas, the key to that, as well as maybe having some policy victories and not throwing away the next two years, is to fight. And, and this is where the next big election comes in. Jim Jordan. You need Jim Jordan in the House. Now you're going to say it doesn't make much of a difference in the minority because you know Republicans will just vote no. They'll all sound righteous. But A, it's going to make a difference of who's speaker in two years because there is no doubt in my mind if Trump wins re-election, they win back the House. That is obvious based on all the factors I'm saying. Who's going to be speaker? We're setting ourselves up for failure. Do we want Trump's second term to be the same thing as the first two years of this term was, doing nothing? Look, the next two years already are going to be like that. Do we want that? We got to – that's only going to happen because, look, if they win back the House with McCarthy as leader, they're going to, oh, well, McCarthy did it, even though we'll have nothing to do with him. There's no way we're going to be able to down him then. It's got to be now in the minority. And also you need a guy that's going to make the case that here's what we should be doing. Now, in the House, if you're in the minority, you have zero power. But you could use your leverage with Trump to pressure McConnell. McConnell is now the most important person outside of Trump. With a, presumably a 55-seat majority, it's time for McConnell to push a bold agenda, and that starts with fighting on the budget bills. Fighting on the budget bills. Ironically, now they have le- they have more lemonade to make from these lemons. Why? Because until now they had the problem with, with um, you know, Republicans controlled everything. Now Trump could easily succeed in blaming Pelosi for a shutdown. That was the whole problem before was what you're going to have a shutdown with yourself. Because you're too incompetent to overcome the filibuster. There needs to be pressure to brought to bear on McConnell. You need to do something, either forcing a talking filibuster across the board or at least getting rid of the filibuster for budget bills. Senate passes budget bills straight up with our priorities. Trump promises to sign it and promises to veto the House version and stare down Pelosi. Have that fight. And obviously if Pelosi talks about investigations and and um, impeachment, it's going to hurt them even more. It's going to hurt those districts that they need to maintain. Just ask Republicans in the late 90s. It will not work unless there's some new evidence, some new big stuff with Trump. But, I mean, if, if that's the case, then he himself won't win anyway. You know, they'll lose the presidency. But... They are majorly going to overplay their hands. This was this is not a mandate. This is not a mandate from them. This is not a mandate on any issue. It's a technical issue, historic backlash, insane fundraising advantage, just played very good chess with putting the right seats at the right time and the right numbers in play in the right states where Republicans committed suicide. 
And um, that's it. There's a lot of good news here. I'm very optimistic. So we need to get into the minority leaders race. We need to get into the December budget battle. But I'll, I, I want to remind folks, there's a checklist. Now is the time to start working on the next cycle. Look at the map of senators. Republicans have more seats in play next time, unlike this time, but most of them are in red districts, red states, which you know will, will be even better with Trump on the ballot in a presidential year. So, you know, that's the deal there. Republicans are in a, a very good position headed forward. But we need the right Republicans. And we need to start working on these races now. And again, in the House too. I know a lot of you are disappointed they lost the House, but now that it's lost, let's make lem- lemonade out of the lemons and say, look, you know, aside from really like three or so members, the other 30 were terrible. They're among the worst members who lost. Let's try to have better members. They, they, they don't have to be rhinos. And just the opposite, the rhinos don't win it. It's like people think of these marginal districts. Yeah, the, the, there is a certain footwork you need to have different from a solid red district. I, I'm not going to deny that. But you have to inspire people with something. And that's what it, all these rhinos couldn't hold because you get the backlash, but you don't get the advantage. My old axiom, my old adage of there's no such thing as lukewarm hell, hell in politics applies now. Republicans have gotten all the liabilities of Trump. And it's bad. But there's so many of the advantages we're leaving on the table. I think if you put it on net, you could have another 2012, 2016 type of election in 2020. So we need to work on these these Senate maps, and I'm, I'm committed to doing it, highlighting it, doing work on the side to try to make it happen. And then there's the issues. We need to fight on the issues. Don't just say, oh, the ha- Democrats have the House. The Democrats have a very tenuous majority where a lot of these people promised bipartisanship. They promised to not be with Pelosi. They promised fiscal restraint. They didn't run on open borders, sanctuary cities. I mean, we could really drive a wedge with them, really meaning either force them to vote with us or the more likely thing is because Democrats vote in lockstep, they'll, it'll be, make it easier to be defeated. But don't throw it away. If McConnell is just going to sit there in McConnell and do nothing and just pass Pelosi's budgets, no. You have the White House. You have a mandate in the Senate. This is not a mandate for the Democrats in the House. Tenuous majority with extreme members and extreme leadership that doesn't reflect the nature of the seats they need to win to keep the majority. Press them on the budget fights. On the debt ceiling. Don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. The lesson is it didn't really get any worse than it got in the first six months of the Trump's presidency. Other than the red 
districts and states came home. You know, what happened was in some of these special elections, it was the worst of all worlds. Dems jazzed up, they're winning suburbs, and then Republicans were just dead. You know, so that's that's the deal here. Obviously, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this late in the night with my internet connection not even up now that somehow, you know, I have all the tea leaves. This is a very complex election. And, you know, there's going to be a lot more to sort through. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on that, but I think the main stuff is really what I said because I think we need to move on to the, the next legislative fights, the Jordan McCarthy fight. And look, if we can't get Jordan, then at least get Scalise. We're going to have some good people like Mark Harris and Chip Roy try to work with a plan. And um, I really think there's a lot of good that can come out of this election. So, look, it is what it is. I'm still trying to figure out what's happening there with Montana. But anyway, I've about reached the end of my rope here before I just sound insane. <laughs> We're going to have more maybe, maybe later tonight, today, tomorrow. But for now, thanks for indulging me. I really appreciate it. I'm sorry I'm just uh, – my brain is, is uh, freezing like my computer. But until next time – Let's just remember, like it says in Psalms, let's not put our faith into men or princes. We put our faith into God, and ultimately, God often left and has outcomes that we don't intend, and sometimes they turn out to be better than we thought. And he has a plan, and we just have to do Micah 6-8. We have to do what's right. We have to continue pushing for the right candidates, the right issues. And like I said, what happened tonight doesn't negate that so much and in fact in other ways it actually improves our ability to push them given where republicans are given the dynamics of the electorate and our body politic today thank you all for listening god bless this has been another episode of the conservative conscience